Welcome to Sex Unshackled. I am Becky Krepsley Fox, and this podcast is where sexuality and spirituality meet. Today on Sex Unshackled, I have Immy Lowe with me. Immy is a psychotherapist, art therapist, and consultant for emotionally intense and highly sensitive people. Immy is the founder of Eggshell Therapy and Coaching, author of the book Emotional Sensitivity and Intensity, and specializes in emotional intensity, high sensitivity, giftedness, complex trauma, and personality disorders. Immy is the recipient of multiple scholarships and awards, including the Endeavour Award by the Australian government. She has been featured as a pioneer in the field of publications such as Psychology's magazine, Psychology Today and Psych Central. I myself am an emotionally intense person and I'm a fan of Emmy's book. Emmy, can you please tell the listeners what brought you to this work? Hi, Becky. Hi. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, yes, what brought me? Well, this is what I do. I do specialize. Thank you for the brilliant um, <laughs> introduction as well. Thank you. Um, so yes, I do specialize in emotional sensitivity and intensity. Emotional sensitivity is a term that has been around and it's getting, gaining a lot of popularity in recent years. Intensity, emotional intensity, it's not a new term, but it's, a, it's one that I have tried to um, um, own and define and really get it out there. So this work is partly based on my personal experience and partly professional. I've always been an intense person, um, intellectually, emotionally really emotionally yes I've always felt very different um but I was never officially diagnosed with anything like a personality disorders so what it was was combining my own experience of being an intense person with my professional exposure and I spotted at some point 10 years ago that there is a trait that exists in a few groups of people so this, this trait is what I would call inter- emotional intensity. And it very much resembles, not exactly the same, but it resembles what Elaine Aaron calls highly sensitive person, the highly sensitive person's trait. Um, and it's also something that was found in intellectually highly gifted people. Um, and it's also something that is found in what we now call empaths, which is also another trending term. So regardless of its roots, and I just become very interested in this thing I call emotional intensity. And these people are very often misunderstood, misdiagnosed. So yeah, I'm just passionate about it. And I often feel like we're like making waves in a big ocean, trying to introduce a new perspective into the world. Yeah. Yeah. And in in your book, I think it's the right at the beginning, the first couple of pages, when I was reading it, it, it just felt like you were talking about me. And I read it out loud to my husband. And it's talking about all the kind of diagnosis that you may have received and, you know, ADHD and things like that. And I was just like, wow, I just feel like I'm reading about myself. And it really hit home so much to me. Um, I just think it's such a fascinating book. And if the listeners 
are wondering some traits of what it might look like if they were highly sensitive and intense, what would some of those traits be? So with regard to the description of highly sensitive people, that's the, or highly, the highly sensitive person, that's separate and you can find it on Dr. Elaine Aaron's website. My description of the emotionally intense person is slightly different and you can also find it on my site eggshelltherapy.com but of course I can say a bit more here so the way I conceptualize it is that emotional intensity has five components uh, number one is emotional depth and passion number two is deep empathy and sensitivity number three is being highly perceptive Number four is having a very rich inner world with vivid imagination. And this is often paired with some kind of intellectual rigor and curiosity. And then five is you probably have creative potential, and but then you also suffer from existential angst or <laughs> doing enough. Um, I can go into a bit more in, as to what these five things are. Yeah, that would be awesome. I'm distracted by the cat behind me. <laughs> Who was it? Was it a white one? Uh, black. Oh, my God. Black oh. one. I, I have yeah. three. That was Eddie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Eddie went upstairs. <laughs> okay. So, emotional. So, maybe you have always been called an old soul. Maybe you've always felt from a young age that you see and feel or others don't. Usually people who are intense are quite deep thinker and feeler as compared to the peers their age. And they experience emotions really powerfully, both the positive and the negative. So the negative would be they may have ex uh, experienced quite severe mood swings, always feel very sensitive to external cues. But at the same time, it's not all bad. So they may also feel very, very moved by music or art or very very easily touched by a film from something like that and they really know rapture and ecstasy the feeling that they can have with say when you're with a loved ones or when you see something what other people may consider small like I have this feeling of just my heart being filled up and bursting with joy after an encounter with a stranger in the streets I live on um, and if I say it to someone who's not intense, they will, they may think I'm being a bit dramatic. Um, but for me, it's, it's real. Yeah. And intense people are passionate lovers usually. So they may or may not show it explicitly, or they might have shut it down at a young age, which we can talk about. Um, but at their core, they're very passionate people. And they also are very empathic, so they really understand other people's feelings, both negative and positive. But the downside is they may find that they have this tendency to, air quotes, absorb other people's energies. Um, it sounds a bit psychic, but it's not. I mean, there are psychological backing. There's something called emotional contagion. I think this word empath has, has been a bit mystified, but there are some legitimate psychological principles with regards to these phenomena. Um, and usually intense people are not that interested in small talks or shallow connections. They want a really deep encounter with people. They sense things, they see things very deeply. Um, they may see what others don't see. They are usually honest, emotionally honest. Um, 
they can feel something icky when other people are being hypocritical. And whilst that sounds like a superpower, it can really bring a lot of trouble, especially when you were younger and you pointed out the facade that the grown-ups are putting up. And, you know, people sometimes are not ready for that. And if you don't have sufficient social skills because you were still young, it may get you into trouble. Yeah, and they usually read a lot. They're very curious people. They may be spiritually attuned. Um, many of them also live with this feeling that they are not doing enough. Like they, they have what I call existential depression. They think about deep issues like death or meaning of life from a very young age. And because they have this ability to see the potential of things, they are often pained by the gap between how things are and how things can be. So there's this niggling, niggling feeling that, oh my God, there's something important that they need to be doing, um, but then they don't know what it is and they somehow can't get themselves into action. So they just have this unnamed weight of responsibility on their shoulders. Um, so this angst may propel them to do things, to read a lot, but then they may also feel quite paralyzed by it. So these are the five traits. I've kind of skimmed through them. And again, if people are interested, they can, well, <laughs> so the, they can look on the website, actually. Yes. Or buy the book. <laughs> yeah. um, so the listeners can't see, but as Imi was talking, I was just nodding the whole time because... Well, I was worried about it. Like, <laughs> no, because um, it's... Yeah, it's just res everything you say resonates with me so powerfully. There's stuff mm -hmm. about not wanting to talk about to do small talk and about things affecting me. You know, when I go to the theatre in recent years, I've realised that when everyone's singing, if I'm watching a musical, I just feel like I'm going to cry because there's something so powerful about it. Um, and I have so much existential angst <laughs> is unbelievable so much existential stuff going on in my brain so yeah as you're talking I just feel like almost has given me permission to feel all the way that I felt for, the, for my whole life and I've been told by numerous people um, that I'm too intense or I'm too much you know sometimes my husband even says it but he doesn't he doesn't mean it in a bad way. He doesn't say it anymore because we've read the book and we've had discussions about it. Um, mm. But, you know, he might just say, oh, can you stop being so intense? And, you know, I, it's quite shaming because it's just part of my personality. Yeah. And often when people say you're too this, too that, too much, too intense, too dramatic, especially when you're a woman, it, it, it just, it stings. It stings. And I'm not going to get into the whole cultural aspects of how women are framed in certain way and these are often words to shut people down i'm not going to go because you know obviously there are sensitive and intense men too and they suffer um, as much in a different way but um these things hurt and you know earlier you mentioned that the whole movie theater thing it can feel really lonely when you are the one who feel this depth of feelings and you know the people next to you don't feel it as much when you know you're the only person crying or laughing in the cinema about something it, it can feel really really lonely mm. yeah it's it's so profound so i'm wondering if we could talk a little bit about how this manifests through childhood and how in 
yeah and how parenting can have an effect on emotionally intense people in my childhood or in people in general i guess people, i can talk people in general but it's up to you yeah of course um so i am not a parent basher <laughs> Despite the many articles about, you know, emotional abuse and neglect I've written, I don't, I think most parents really try their best and it's such a hard job and I really have a lot of admiration for all the parents. Um, So I just need to put that in as a caveat. However, it's often very difficult when you have a child that is wired very differently to the way you are. Um, There's a term in the book called, oh gosh, I can't think of it at the top of my head, but I, I call these, I call people who are born very differently to their parents' apples that has fallen far from the trees. Yeah. I didn't find it, it comes from a book, but um, it's, it's very, and, and I don't know if you have children, but they do, children do come into the world with their own temperaments. They are not just blank slates. So, when your kids are born in a certain way and the temperament is not a fit with yours, it can create lots of conflicts and pain and suffering on both ends. For example, you may have a family with both parents being quite extroverted and then you have an introverted, quiet child or the opposite where the child is really, really love performance, really like to talk and the parents just need quiet time to themselves. Both ways, there can be lots of woundings that happen. Um, so an intense child coming into the world, they may feel that they are not understood. They may feel they're not hurt. People around them don't get them. So this sense of deep loneliness are instilled in them from a very, very young age. And here's the thing, children do have a tendency to blame themselves. They very often take responsibilities for whatever unhappiness is happening um so that's that that way they may have internalized this feeling that there's something wrong with them you know when they feel disappointed or angry they don't intuitively get angry at their parents and i can explain why but you know it's very difficult for a child to be angry at those they depend on so they would turn the arrow against themselves and that's how a lot of internalized shame and guilt happens Another thing is, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of emotionally intense children are also very sensitive and empathic. So if they have parents who have their own struggles, maybe a bit vulnerable or emotionally volatile, they sometimes just instinctively step into that caretaker role. Um, Even if their parents didn't mean to, it's very easy to lean on these children because they seem so intuitive. They seem like such a little grown up. You know, when they sense that you're upset, they come to you, oh, mommy, are you upset? You know, they give you a pat on the back. It's, it's, and then the roles between parents and children can get reversed. Mm-hmm. Again, the parents may not intentionally do it. It's just, it's very tempting because the kid is so empathic and seems so understanding. And they seem to be able to have this ability to hold a lot. So sometimes parents would unintentionally lean on their children emotionally. But that reversal is not great if sustained as a pattern, because then the child really lose an innocent childhood. They may feel they may be overburdened, and then it may become a pattern that 
takes into later life and creates issues and boundaries and etc. Yeah, so I'm just thinking about the effect that that would have on adult relationships, romantically or otherwise. And also, I'm thinking, I guess there's a correlation between the jobs that people choose as emotionally intense um, people, and probably they are a lot of therapists, right? Because getting used to holding people and supporting other people with that empathy is that something that you've noticed that a lot of therapists and psychologists and psychotherapists are emotionally intense? Um, you know what? I, I thought it might be the case, but in my personal experience, actually not. I, oh. I didn't find them more, um, I didn't find more intense people in psychology and psychotherapy more. I think psychotherapy maybe more, psychology not mm. so much. I think psychology is a different discipline where there's quite a lot of clinical, scientific assessment, research. It's quite a different part of the brain that you use. Um, so actually, in my personal experience, yes and no, I can't tell. I have never done the research. I certainly spot this trait in artists and poets. Yeah, but you know what? It, it really is found in, in all shapes and sizes. Like, I'm very much into the Enneagram, the personality typing. Yeah. And when I first started this work, I thought, mm, I'm going to attract a lot of type this, type that, a lot of type four will come to me. They're all emotionally sensitive and intense. But then once I started doing this work and I start thinking about the types my parents, uh, sorry, my, my clients are, I realized there really isn't a pattern. Mm-hmm. So I am myself quite intrigued by that. Yeah, I'm fascinated by that. Very interesting. I can agree with that. A lot of people who go into um, the field of psychotherapy and counseling has been caretakers of other people's all their lives. And yeah. yeah, yeah. So, how might an emotionally intense person? How might that affect um, intimate relationships? So, what challenges could that create? Mm. That is a big question. <laughs> I am writing about that in my new book, actually. Oh. Um, yeah, so there are a few topics. I can name a few here. So feeling out of sync and finding it hard to have people who meet with you on that many levels is one of the biggest struggle. Mm-hmm. So like from the get-go, they see and feel the world very differently. And that itself comes in with challenges. So they may feel like someone may they are physically attracted to are not intellectually a match, or someone who's intellectually a match may not have the emotional depth that they want. So it's just really difficult to have someone who meets them on multiple levels. Um, intense people have a tendency to get bored, <laughs> especially if they are bright as well intellectually. They boredom, impatience, and feeling alone in the relationship is quite common. Um, You're nodding your head. (laughs) Yes, it's just me. You're just talking about me. That's exactly how I feel. Um, Yeah, and until my husband with relationships, that was probably my biggest problem, being bored. I'm impatient in life, and my yoga practice and meditation practice has really helped with that, but I'm still never going to exude patience and um 
I have struggled with being bored just generally in in my life as well but especially in intimate relationships and with partners and I used to just go from one partner to the next to the next to the next and what you say about being lonely until maybe three maybe even less years ago I couldn't even really be on my own because Mm -hmm. if I was on my own I would feel so much just yes lonely I felt so lonely and yeah it can happen when I'm with other people and it can happen when I'm in a filled room but there was really a trait in me of always wanting to be with other people so that that kind of existential loneliness wasn't there it's interesting um do you know I don't want to turn this around and kind of questions but it may relate to your attachment style as well yes definitely that's I've done a lot of work on that talk a bit about that too but to answer more of your question yeah and you may find that partners are not able to keep up with your speed of processing or your hunger for multiple experiences like from what you're telling me and from what I saw in your website you have multiple aspects to you you know you are brainy but then you also do yoga and then you are spiritual and a person may share a pocket of that and they may not share more of it So a lot of intense people I know try to fill in these gaps through friendships or having more. But then I think in the modern world, it's really hard because friendships tends not to be, adult friendship, it's very hard to get get them deep and intense and feed them the the gap. So so there's that. Um, And... A lot of intense people, as I I said earlier, with the childhood experience, they may have a lot of relational trauma with regards to not being understood. They may have been used or even scapegoated in their family. Um, And they may bring these into their relationships. So they may be very reactive to signs of being dismissed or being ignored, and they may get triggered very easily. Uh, another tendency we have discussed is the tendency to over care for others so they may lose their center mm-hmm. maybe very overly caring about oh my god what, what are they wanting from me yeah but then on the flip side a lot of intense people also need a lot of space to themselves they need a lot of room to read to play to go and do their own adventures um, but their partner may not understand this and they go, oh, well, why, why do you want to do so much, so many things separate from me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, most intense people I know, if I were to spot a pattern, they are big picture thinker. They are the intuitive types rather than the very sensory based type in terms of the Maya Spriggs uh, typology. So they may not get along with people who don't understand their concepts, metaphors, and way of speaking. Yeah. And they also search for very deep things in the modern world. You know, in our fast food culture, online dating, it's quite difficult for intense people to find someone who they can call soulmate, who can have really deep intellectual or emotional conversations with. Yeah. yeah. I think it's that craving for richness, isn't it? Which is hard to find in, in the modern world. Yes. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier about um, how this shows up sexually and about how emotionally intense people are often quite 
full on sexually, but they can have an ability to be closed off through um, maybe childhood as they're growing up. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that. It's actually a wide spectrum. So I, again, I don't have the statistical uh, data, but I haven't spot a particular pattern. I have people who are asexual. I have people who are sapiosexual, but I also have people who have a lot of um, sexual needs. So I think the commonality is that most of them really crave emotional intimacy when it comes to sexual encounter and quite dissatisfied with just one night stands and things like that. So that's where they struggle in our modern online dating world very often. Um, what was your question? Yeah, it was exactly that. So how does it show up um, emotionally sensitive people and their sexuality? Uh, um, I don't know, because I don't think there are many commonalities, but some problems that one may be able to imagine is something, if, if there were any problems or struggles, something along the line of perfectionism um, and control. I think a lot of bright, intense people are very used to having things under their control in life. And most of the time they can, but when it comes to relaxing and letting go in the bedroom, um, some of them may struggle. They may have con- a tendency to be over controller. And I, did, I don't mean it, I don't mean it, they want to control the other person. Mm-hmm. It's usually a kind of inhibition of wanting things to be good and perfect themselves and this kind of self-consciousness rather than wanting to control the other. Yeah, and I'm just thinking about how that might show up in what we would call sexual dysfunction, because if there is um, an overzoning in on wanting perfection and that kind of performance aspect where worried about letting go, that could show up in an inability to orgasm or to stay connected to the moment, to stay connected to the partner, perhaps if the mind is drifting off or maybe even um, erectile issues, because there isn't that relaxing into it and going with the flow exactly yeah and whilst caring for the other and empathy is absolutely a big part of intimacy sometimes they may over focus on what the other person wants Mm. a minute second to second basis wondering oh my god am i pleasing you enough are you happy enough is this what you want rather than being in the moment closing their eyes and enjoying themselves like I know a lot of we I know a lot of people that I work with they 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 can't just take the pleasure they struggle they feel guilty or they feel like they need to reciprocate and they they're doing the math in their head <laughs> it may come from all their life you know they're just not able to be the taker they just want always to be the giver but this can also become a hindrance sometimes when you're not able to just enjoy yourself when your partner wants to pleasure you yeah it's so important and I know that we've both studied the same psychotherapy training so first position right and it's all about being in first position um when when you're in a sexual experience so listeners I've talked about this on previous podcasts but just for those of you who haven't listened to those episodes, first position is where you are acting from a place of your needs first. And in a sexual experience, second position would be where you're trying to act in a way that benefits your partner. And you can give 
sexually and you know out of sexual experience as well while still being in first position so that's what we're talking about a little bit about being able to sometimes receive without having to give at the same time and also being aware of your own needs when you are giving or when you are embraced in that sexual experience yeah exactly yeah and we spoke just a little bit earlier about attachment theory I is there any correlation between emotional intensity and attachment theory because I would assume maybe intense people would be insecure but that might just be my experience (laughs) I I am very much looking into this again I don't see a correlation and the thing is the way it plays out can be very different Mm. You know, some people it's because at the end, I, the way I think of attachment pattern, part of it is an innate temperament, but a, a lot of that is the defense mechanism that you have adopted to deal with the pain. Yeah. So some, because their parents may be inconsistent. So what they have learned is to be highly attuned. You're right. There are lots of um, anxious attachments where they're highly attuned to every single signal so they can adapt accordingly. So every single moment they're looking into others and looking for other people's telling them how to behave and how to do in order to preserve the relationships. So there's that. But then there's also the parents who may not meet their child's sensitivity and intensity. So the child just feels abandoned from a young age. So the experience might have been, well, I tried and I tried and I got nothing back, so I'll just give up. They might have been hurt, hurt in that way. So they have learned to just rely on themselves and to be. And it's interesting where that I'm, earlier I mentioned the tendency to be in over control. It is kind of related to this type of attachment defense where you have decided that I can only rely on me and I control my world, and I'm not giving up control to others. Yeah. So I think that's all we have time for today. Where can the listeners find you? You did mention your website earlier, but if you could repeat that, I'll pop it all on the show notes page as well. Thank you, Becky. So my website is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> eggshelltherapy.com and so eggshell is just like an eggshell <laughs> and therapy.com all one word um i have a book existing in amazon it's called emotional sensitivity and intensity and i have another one coming out hopefully this year uh called the gift of intensity Sounds amazing. I really, really advise those of you listening who find this interesting, have people in your life who you think might be emotionally intense or are emotionally intense yourself, definitely buy it, give it a read. There's loads of helpful tasks for you to do at home, things to think about. So yeah, it's awesome. Thank you so much for coming, Emmy. It was such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much.